Welcome to the premiere episode of On Democracy with F.P. Wellman on call-in. I'm thrilled to partner with Colin to bring this podcast to you live and we'll publish on iTunes uh, and Spotify. Uh, Colin is the easy-to-use all-in-one platform for hosts and creators. With the app, you can stream, take questions, record, edit, and share your content all in one place. I hope you'll download the app if you haven't already. Join us live like you are now to talk about our democracy, how we can all help move the nation forward. So I'm going to get on with the show. I'm so excited. Let's do this thing. played that music for Heather earlier, and she thought I was playing some Odessa music, which is an ongoing fight with us about my EDM, but here we are. It's not. <laughs> you know, I'm so excited to be on the air with you guys today. I'm your host, Fred Wellman. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, and I see a lot of friendly names already, uh, I'm a man of many hats, but I fill my time these days as a pro-democracy advocate, a political campaign consultant, and an activist. I'm the former executive director and a senior advisor of the Lincoln Project, and I currently serve as a campaign consultant. Some, you know, really terrific national candidates running for office. I'm the co-founder of this thing called the Beer Hall Project, which we'll talk about at some point. I'm really excited to be a, a senior advisor to a group called Voters of Tomorrow, which is a Gen Z group trying to activate our next generation to participate in our democracy. So clearly, I can't hold a single job. I'm a bit of a gig guy. I'm like, I'm like an Uber driver in politics. I'm coming to you live from our palatious broadcasting studio at the top of Wellman Tower in St. Louis, Missouri, which is actually uh, Heather's office just over the day. Uh, I've kicked around the idea of launching a podcast for years, uh, but the time never seemed right. And to be honest, I kind of felt it was a little bit on brand for a middle-aged white guy, but here we are. Um, I did pull the trigger, though, and uh, my when Avery, my friend who's with us up today, uh, recruited me to join Colin and, and give it a shot. So I'm just really thrilled to collaborate with Colin, and I can't thank you guys enough for joining me on this inaugural episode of On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. Uh, I hope to make the show informative. I hope to make it educational. Perhaps funny, hopefully, and occasionally even enlightening. If you know me at all, and I think a lot of you do, I, there probably will be some cussing. I, now, you know, there's definitely going to be cussing. Uh, I actually wrote in the script, so here we are. So what do we got this evening for our first show? I'm really excited. Uh, my first ever guest uh, is awesome. I've, I wanted to launch with someone who shares my concerns about our country and uh, our sensibility about how to fight back, and, and that will be Rachel Vinman, and we'll, we'll talk to Rachel in a minute. I've known her for a while. You'll hear a little bit about that. How I, how I sucked her into my crazy world and, uh, and the work she's doing, which is really important. Uh, but before I get to chat with her, I, I got some stuff on my mind, you know, from the attempts by the GOP to divert our attention from the real issues we face, you know, the latest revelations that just came out today about the January 6th insurrection. And of course, uh, the Mark Esper rehab tour, uh, which I, <laughs> I can't imagine we won't talk about that. And then of course Rachel and then I can't, resist, well, we're just going to have to talk about this insanity around the Roe v. Wade uh, repeal. And, you know, just as we were getting ready to go on the air, we got word that uh, the, the Women's Health Act was turned down by the Senate and our friend Joe Manchin actually joined the Republicans and turned it back. So so there's a lot going on today in the country that we need to talk about. And um, and we'll just get to it. So, you know, you know, it's, it's funny how often I find myself saying, you know, what the fuck? And, and I have to be real specific these days because there's a lot of fucks. 
Um, but there's so many to choose from. And, and when I talk about one of the things I was thinking about as I was getting ready is the, the GOP's talent at diversions and distractions. And, and I think this GOP, this, the Roe v. Wade leak, the, 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 the Lido leak gave you a perfect example of what I'm talking about to use. And when I talk about how, how our friends on the other side divert us from the real issues. And, and the perfect example was how when the leak came out, it only took about three hours for Republican talking points to hit the air where they're saying, oh, well, uh, it, it's not the leak. It's not the content. It's the leak. I mean, McConnell himself got up there in front of the podium and said, oh, you got, it's, it's not, this is about norms and traditions. The Supreme Court's been, you know, offended by this leak. And, and, and they tried to make the conversation less about the outrageous things that Alito had published. And, and let's not forget the, the domestic supply of infants, right? Uh, to just the leak and how these norms and traditions have been blown up. After four years of Trump, norms and traditions are a bit of a, you know, a bit of a joke, right? So, this is what they're so good at. And so at first it was the issue of the leak and not the content. And then we spent the weekend, for me, frustratingly, talking about whether it's okay to protest at the justices' home. And once again, our friends at the GOP jumped right on it to say, oh, this is outrageous. They're protesting. This is crazy. Again, the issue not being the angry people, especially women who are trying to save their own health care and their, the health care of the next generation of our nation. No, instead we're focusing on the proper way to protest. I mean, I even saw very smart people that I, I talk to a lot on the internet, on Twitter, especially if you know me, you know I'm on Twitter, you know, talking about that issue. And then, and my God, the Senate passed a law in like four hours to protect these poor, innocent, uh, you know, Supreme Court justices. And, and don't forget, Susan Collins called the police in her, because someone wrote, I'm not kidding, in pink chalk on her sidewalk. Uh, and she, she felt threatened by pink chalk that literally the protesters are so violent. They literally said, please, in their message to her to fight back for women's health. So we have got to do a better job of not falling for this. I mean, by the time the election comes around, it'll be whether it's, it's going to be the issue is going to be people who are for protesting versus anti-protesting. Uh, and that's not the issue. The issue is a woman's right to choose their own health care, a woman's right to choose her future. And I worry because Democrats and all of us keep falling for it. So I got to tell you, that's my first stop falling for it, right? Focus on the issues, push them back, make them defend. And that's what we got to do. Now, today, uh, you guys might know if you follow me, I'm obsessed with the January 6th stuff. I actually started the Beer Hall Project with my co-founder, Cyrus Schick, because, you know, we have really been concerned about the erasure of January 6th and the way that the participants in that, that attempted coup have tried to rewrite history. Today, a really startling set of emails came out from John Eastman, who is turning out to be sort of the, the architect of a lot of what I call the paper coup. Uh, there was really kind of two, two phases that a coup, right? There was the violence, which we focus on a lot on January 6th. But really, the coup was taking place was really what they call the paper coup. It was all these efforts by John Eastman and, and Rudy Giuliani, and Mr. Sweaty, and the, the nut show that they have following them. All these folks... Um, you know, it, it, are, are, are trying, we're trying to rewrite the laws and get around to presenting uh, a, a, a path to power for Trump remaining power, be it by falsifying election results, creating fake elector, uh, electoral lists. And so what Eastman got caught in these emails that were revealed from his Colorado, um, the, his professorship in Colorado, uh, the Denver Post got hold of him and then Politico, it shows that he was literally instructing a uh, state legislator in Pennsylvania on a, on a roadmap of how they could get around the count and actually throw out 
absentee ballots for, and, and then use a, a, this bizarre math equation to basically throw out all the, the Biden absentee ballots because there was an unusually large number. So clearly they were fake and then come up with a new set of electors. And what's and, and Greg Sargent, whom I, I'm hoping to get on the show next week at the Washington Post, did a great job of explaining that while they may have failed uh, on 2020's election, Eastman has presented a very clear roadmap and a strategy for the next time so that they won't fail on the next one. And this is what we talk a lot about at the Beer Hall Project is that, you know, that the, 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 we have to be sure to understand that the, the, the end was not January 6th. The start was January 6th. And much like the Beer Hall Putsch in Munich in 1923 with Hitler, Hitler learned his lesson that that wasn't the path to power. He would manipulate the levers of power, the weak democratic institutions of the Weimar Republic to seize power. And he did. And we kind of know what happened after that in 1933, right? So we are very firm believers, and I personally am a big believer that, you know, we have to be aware of what's happening in our country. And every time these revelations come out, um, we have to pay attention to them. Now, would love to see some action, but, but here we are. Um, and I, we'll talk about that in our time too, but uh, I think every day we're seeing just how insidious this paper coup portion of this was and just how dangerous it was. And I think we all have to, as, as, as who love our democracy and our republic, to understand the danger we face still, that nothing has changed. It's almost in many ways worse. And then finally, and then we'll segue into my talk with Rachel, who I can't wait to, if you haven't met her before or talked to her, you're going to love her to death like I do. Um, our friend, Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, uh, Dr. Esper, who is on this reputation rehab tour. And, he, you know, if you've turned on the TV or uh, the Internet for the last week, you're seeing the steady drip of revelations from his book uh, and his hero, his I Was a Hero Reputation Rehab Tour. I mean, I got to tell you, it's, it's quite an esca escapade and clean up an aisle trader that, uh, that he's executing, you know. And, and we keep seeing the talk, the press talk about the, the moments in the job where he portrays himself as the bulwark between a crazed Trump and the good of the nation. And as the Wonk, the Wonkette put it so eloquently online yesterday, and of course, Rachel sent to me is, uh, you know, Mark Esper has measured himself and found that he is a hero in his own eyes, right? And we'll talk a little bit about his performance more with Rachel because she lived it. I mean, this is, uh, there's, there's something like 10 pages in the book about what happened to Alex Vim and, and, and Rachel uh, as they went through what they did for our nation. Um, but, you know, the thing that bothers me, aside from all that, is the question is not being asked of Mark Esper that I want to see asked is, why did you take the job? Right? I mean, we keep hearing these conversations with him where he talks about the things he faced and how hard it was and how he saw himself in that he didn't resign from the job because he saw himself as, you know, the bulwark um, and if, if he quit, well, who would replace him? Somebody worse. So this hero. But here's the thing that he keeps skipping by, and I worry that we keep skipping by. Well, why'd you take the job, Mark? The fact is, Mark Esper became Secretary of the Army at um, November of 2017. Okay, this is 11 months into you know, 10, 11 months into the Trump administration. This is long after the July 2017 uh, issue of the transgender ban. Uh, by tweet, okay? This is long after many of the more outrageous, this is long after the Muslim ban. This is long after some very outrageous things we knew or you knew Trump was executing, but yet Mark Esper volunteered and took a role as Secretary of the United States Army and was in that job for a couple of years before he stepped up to take over as Secretary of Defense. So while we could all fall for his bullshit, 
talking about what a hero he was, and he kept us from danger. The fact is, he volunteered to step into the freaking arena, knowing exactly for whom he would be working, and yet still took the job. Why? Well, I mean, we know why. Blind ambition. <laughs> I mean, let's not bullshit ourselves, right? Why on earth would a lobbyist for Raytheon want to serve as a Secretary of the Army for one of the most reprehensible people to ever serve in the presidency? It's good for him, right? And and so is getting his reputation rehabbed. So is selling books. Um, and so I, I am, I'm dismayed when I see the political press, who I will give credit to. Many are holding them accountable. Uh, by the same token, a lot of our friends in the political press are also ignoring the big glaring question. If it was so bad, why'd you take the job in the first place? Because you know what, you guys? I know a lot. I'm a former Republican. If you, okay, I was a Republican my whole life until, well, I would tell the story several times, until Trump showed up. And a lot of good friends I know wanted to serve in a Republican administration. And I tell you what, they didn't. They chose not to serve this president because they knew just how bad Trump was. Uh, people of honor chose not to serve a dishonorable person. Um, yet, Mark Esper did. So, anyway, I would love to talk to, we're going to talk to my friend Rachel about this. So, our, our, our good, our guest today is my good friend Rachel Vim, as I mentioned a couple times. Uh, her formal bio, because we've got to be formal. Rachel is an opinion columnist at USA Today and a member of the USA Today Board of Contributors. She's co-host of the Suburban Woman Problem pod- Podcast and advisory board member for the Renew Democracy Initiative, which I'm a big fan of. Of course, she's married to retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vimmen, who we, we all have great respect for, uh, who participated in the first impeachment hearings of Donald Trump. And as a military spouse for many years, over 20 years, she lived in Germany, Ukraine, and Russia. She's served her country just as we have. She's an active parent, volunteered her daughter's elementary school. I, I know her daughter well. <laughs> I've gotten a chance to know her uh, in Prince William County. The thing is, she's really try- found her voice as an activist. And, and honestly, she's just a plain-spoken political commentator on Twitter. You could follow her at Natsec Hobbyist like I do, which is actually how we connected originally. <laughs> but probably my favorite description of Rachel Vimmen comes from that Wonkette article that I mentioned <laughs> earlier about yesterday, which discussed the reaction to his rehab attempts and... Uh, uh, Eugene Vimmen had tweeted about it, but so had Rachel. And as the, as the author of the article wrote, Rachel Vimmen, Alexander's wife, was less restrained. <laughs> and so uh, nothing describes my friend Rachel more than being less restrained than perhaps Alex and Eugene. And as Rachel said yesterday, those words will probably end up on her tombstone. So welcome, Rachel. I'm so excited to have you talk to us today. Uh, we've come a long way, haven't we? Uh, indeed, we have. And <laughs> thank you for having me. This is... Um, awesome. I already love this platform. This is, right? this is really great. I love the idea of it. And just sitting here on my sofa, um, like being able to chat and have a meaningful conversation. So without a lot of equipment, it's really great. Right. Um, I love it. Too simple. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Uh, so yeah, we, I mean, I, so there, there have been a lot of times in the past, you know, almost two years, let's say year and a half when I'm like, oh, we're going to go meet someone. And Alex is like, do you, do you know this person in real life or did you meet them on Twitter? And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you were yeah. the first person that we ever met, that I ever met. But Alex and I met is that right? Yes, that I wow. met on Twitter. See, it turned out wow. well. So I, I had it no did. experiences. There There's you go. No well, reason to not keep replicating it because you've become a good friend. So. There it is. There it is. And it's funny. And you had, of course, you guys had visited my, my, my daughter and her mom own a store yeah. in Virginia. 
And it's funny. So I, for you guys, what happened was, was during the, I think it was during the impeachment, just after Rachel, um, y'all ordered online. It was during the pandemic. Y'all ordered online. Some you you the tweeted store. about it. Right, right. <laughs> it's... But I still ordered it to be shipped to me. I mean, I think stores weren't even open then. No, no, they were just doing takeout. Yeah. And for, and for, um, for some of my mom friends for Mother's right. Day and uh, great products. I never take a bath without one of the bath bombs. And, Excellent. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So my daughter sent me a picture. Yeah. My daughter sent a picture. She goes, hey, is this the Vinman? The? And I'm like, yeah, damn it. I said, you put a note in there. And and then I tweeted about it. I said, hey, we love these folks. And then you reached out. I was like, yeah, this is me. I follow you. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> right? And uh, and the rest is history. And, and you know, when Alex decided to retire, we uh, we did a very we did this very remember we did the subterfuge thing. Rachel and Alice came down to Richmond, Virginia to visit. We got the back booth at my favorite restaurant and and talked. I gotta tell you guys. So Alice and Rachel can now we've all seen Alex on TV. He's you know just remarkable and stoic uh, professional the whole way. And then and stoic, you like that? That was pretty good, right? <laughs> you know I don't know. I went to college uh, and and <laughs> and then y'all come down. And here's Rachel, right? Who I've never, you know, Oklahoma girl, right? Redhead, you know? <laughs> and, and, and remember we were sitting at that booth and Rachel's talking. And I said, you know, I like you. <laughs> you know, I like your voice. You've got a good voice, you know, because you were, you were fired up. I said, we got to find a way to work together. And this, of course, is July of 2020, right? Before I yes, even joined. Yes, July of 2020. Right? I was, and like a, I was going to get COVID. Right. Yeah. It was like our first excursion. Everything about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we hadn't been out anywhere in months and months. Well, I'm honored you chose to come down and visit me in Richmond and, and, and look where it left us. And, you know, and, and, and of course you were living and back to what we were just talking about as I, on my intro is, you know, at that moment, you guys were going through it. You, you had just decided to retire. Mm -hmm. Alex just tired of retire dealing with Esper. I mean, you must be, it must just drive you crazy, you know. You know, it, it's been you know seeing what's going on with Esper right now. I know you've got some strong feelings about that. I mean, just pull the ripcord. I mean, yeah, these I mean, books you know, are all being rewritten, right? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, <laughs> mostly it just really hurts because I try not even to think about it. To be honest, like right. I mean, I understand that it's necessary to work through feelings and think about them, but those were such dark days. Yeah, and we're on the other side of it now, so I really do try not to think about it. But reading his words, because someone sent us, um, they wanted Alex to comment on it, so they sent us some pictures of the pages that he talked about Alex, and I really like the um, the evolution of of kind of what he's done because when he first resigned, both he and then later Secretary. McCarthy, who replaced us for a secretary of the army. Right. I found it so strange in their exit interviews or whatever you want to call them. They granted them right. actually to like military times or army times. One right. of those, um, one of those publications and they both specifically mentioned Alex, which I found off because, and what they were doing right. was really trying to get ahead of the story and talked about how, what they did for Alex, because I guess they felt like we had, I don't know. I mean, that we had somehow tarnished it uh, or right. misrepresented all that they had done for us again. That, and so what I tweeted yesterday, I think is really true. Somehow Esper is in this rehab tour that he's doing in his book. He manages to be both the hero of Alex's story and the <laughs> victim. 
because he <laughs> was so disappointed in Alex retiring, feeling that he, he right. felt, you know, the comments that Alex made. And I actually remember this the day after Alex retired or sorry, announced his retirement. Um, he got a phone call from someone who I think is the person that uh, if you, in the book, there's, he says there was a senior officer who was assigned to Alex. This person was not reachable. So right. unless he had a specific message to give Alex, but if Alex, it was a one-way communication and it was not right. him checking on us regularly. It just was not the case. And um, he, and he called and he was really upset. He was traveling with the army chief of staff, General McConville. They had been in Singapore and then they were in Bangkok and he called from Bangkok and he was just like the chief was mad. The sec def was mad. <laughs> I mean, this was like the message he was calling right. to Alex. And Alex was like, dude, uh, I heard him talking to him and I just wanted to grab the phone. But Alex was ever <laughs> the officer and lots of sir sandwiches. And he was respectful in every way. I've always known Alex to be. But he also was like, you left me no choice. And this is the choice I made for my family. But, right. you know, I mean, look, if I'm being very charitable, perhaps it's possible that Secretary Esper and, or should I call him Dr. Esper? I don't know. That Who knows? he and General McConville and General Milley, maybe they didn't know that we weren't taken care of. Maybe right. they told someone to do it and someone didn't. I really have no idea. All I right. know is that we had no idea what was going on. We had no idea if he was in good standing. All we could go on were things that are in Alex's book that he mentions. It's like the current, I think, UCOM commander or uh, right. uh, the, what do you call that person? Um, but uh, so. Sakir or whatever. Uh, yeah, Sakir. Yep. I can't think of his name. But um, he told Alex that he had flown too close to the sun and he needed a rehabilitative <laughs> assignment. And these were, and these people are still serving, by the way. These of are course. the, um, this is the feedback that Alex had to go on. So there was nothing in between. There was no one that took the time to actually talk to him. So anyway, that's what it is. But that's a lot about yeah. I mean, Mostly, I think, like, no. if you didn't know what was going on, then that's his fault for not going. And for me, it's just extremely personal. And I also, he was on Nicole Wallace yesterday, which I, I didn't see it, but I, I did see the segment later or parts of it. And I thought it yeah. was kind of funny because he was like, I mean, it wouldn't be appropriate for a secretary of defense to speak to a lieutenant colonel. Like, but somehow it's appropriate <laughs> for you to write 10 pages in your book about it. Like, that's, not, that's less normal. I just want you to know that is far less normal um, for you yeah. to do that. But okay, dude, whatever. I mean, and I'm just so tired of like, of this people trying to build him up and say what a hero he was. And, and I agree with you. Like, why take the job? We know why you right. take the job. Because you could make untold millions for the rest right. of your life for having been Secretary of Defense of the United States. And it, the answer begins and ends there. That's it. Nothing else matters. Yes. I agree. And, and that's the common thread we see a lot, right, with a lot of the folks who took those jobs within this administration. I mean, look, hey, look, it, in almost any administration that happens, right? Let's be honest, right? Yeah, but I mean, with this one, you know, you had to really, I mean, you really had to subjugate your moral compass, <laughs> you had yeah. to take your moral compass, smash the shit out of your moral compass, yeah. throw it in the garbage, <laughs> you know? I mean, people bury their moral compasses, I think, to take this job, right? I mean, what else? Well, I mean, just like, I don't know, I, 
I didn't. Christopher Miller, I guess, in one of the books, because he oh, took Lord. over after Usper, right? Or was there yeah. someone in between? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, he was the act. No, he was the acting guy yes, for the after election. He talks about like going home, and his wife and daughter like lost their shit. They were like, "You're what? You're doing what?" <laughs> right. And I'm like, well. I'm just going to tell you, if that had been my husband, he would not have walked out that door. Like, or I would have. I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's, that's really hard to say. It's a counterfactual. It didn't happen, right? But I cannot right. imagine. I, I really cannot imagine letting him walk out the door and do those things. I mean, I, I simply, right. like, it's just baffling to me that. And there were so many milestones. There were so many milestones where they yes, could have like changed the directory. You know? This was, I think, after the election, right? I mean, we have plenty of stuff to go on. And, and mostly with us for personal stuff aside, why did you not say these things before um, the election? You know, before the, ele- the ele- right. before the election, or he was still a secretary after the election. Why didn't you say it after January sixth? Like, or, you know, or just all these Anywhere. times when you should have said it? Yeah, why and did I think that's not. That's it. And that's a good segue into where I want to talk a little bit about us working together, the Lincoln Project. People might be interested in how that went about. But, but you know, at the Lincoln Project, I mean, we always said that our goal, actually Steve Bannon said it for us, God bless him, but he said that these Lincoln Project guys only need to peel off about 3 to 4% of Republican voters that had voted for Donald Trump to be successful. That's all he won by, right, in a few states. And so we always had that. We used to call it the Bannon line at <laughs> the Lincoln Project. We just need to peel off. And that's why I was brought on uh, in, in, in August of 2020 as the Senior Advisor for Veterans Affairs, which is actually after we met. It was about two weeks after we met. Um, yeah, I, think I got the offer. Yeah, I think, it. yeah. And so the, um, the reasoning was that, you know, that's a big, uh, uh, constituency for the Republican Party, which is, you know, veterans and military members and military family members. And, and I built the p- plan I had and the group I had. And I think there's even, maybe even some folks here on our today that were with us and around the idea that I don't, I don't have to convince a lot of, of, of veterans and military members to change their mind, but just mm-hmm. a few, three years. And, and if you yeah. remember one of our big thing, and, and this is why I brought you in, was to say, look, this guy doesn't share our values. You can be a Republican, but this man is not one of us. And, and he does not share our values. He does not share our love for country. Yeah, exactly. And he's sure, right. I mean, remember this. Then we had all these and things. I, you so, the you know. story. You wrote the script. And, right. And, you know, and, and I told our story. And and then I did an interview with Brianna Keeler and told yep. her story. And I think, you know, there, it's important as we start talking about the row thing, I think um, right. you mentioned we're going to discuss it. Yes, ma'am. But, this is the important thing is, is to tell the stories because you can talk about policy. You can talk about this. No one cares. Um, you know, right. until you talk about like what happens when this policy goes into effect, what happens when someone does this thing? Yeah. And when it wasn't just, um, you know, I, I was a military spouse for 15 years and yeah. moved all over, you know, I was, got back from Moscow, like a little bit late because of a delayed flight. And I didn't get to see my mom conscious before she passed away. I was Mm. in Kiev when my father died suddenly. Like, Mm. I I mean, Mm. uh, all these sacrifices that I felt like I made willingly, happily, I, I I was all in, you know, on, on the mission, on the cause, on everything of being a military spouse. And that this was also my service. Um, you know, our family service, every, and the sacrifices that we made. Uh, and, and then just 
to have it thrown away because um, because Alex stood up and said, hey, this isn't exactly right. And the way that they, yep. they then handled it. And, and I think that was the story that I told it, it you think it's us now. It is us now. But this could be anyone who stands in the way of these people. So don't. there's nothing unique about us. It will be, right. this is the way these people operate. Anything that gets in their way, they just get rid of it. Right. And that's, you know, it's funny. So I, I was at the Lincoln Project. We'd done our first ad with, um, I did my first ad with Sully Sullenberger. Um, right man. after the, yeah, oh my God. It was, so, <laughs> I gotta tell you, it was, it was one of those calls. You call somebody and, and, and I, I emailed his, his assistant or like that. And he called me that day and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, Sully, you know, uh, my son Hunter was in the room with me. We were both like, oh my God. <laughs> um, but I, after that one, I said, you know, I, I knew you guys had, you had a unique story. And by then I knew your story. You know, the story of the American family that had gone through this. Not, I think the public knew the Alex story, but what I was going for was the true story of what happened to an American family that did the right thing and the most powerful man in the world decided to, uh, to take him out. Do you and, know that? I don't know if you, do you remember? Because I actually, I remember calling you yeah. and saying, Jeffrey Goldberg from The Atlantic. Yes. Um, this is actually kind of relevant to some, another part we're going to discuss is his, he had written the story about the suckers and losers comment and right. his family had to leave because they are being threatened. It's right. weird. No Republicans cared. And I'm really shocked because right. um, they didn't care. They also didn't care about us um, also having facing threats and having to leave our house. So it's weird. Right. They really care about Justice Alito right. and the peaceful protest outside other justices house, but houses, but like no one cared about us or Jeffrey Goldberg. But I was yep. like, this has to end. This is this is so stupid. It has to end. And I was just gonna like take my phone and make a video when you're like, How about we make a Lincoln project? <laughs> I like, could do that. Yeah. Um, but I yep. mean it's all together, like it's it's all that that really pushed me over the edge. Not just like, what happened to us was the one thing, but you know, a lot of times journalists don't want to be part of the story. Right. But they're drawn into it. I mean, I would think that Supreme Court justices also don't want to be part of the story. That's not their, they're not part of the court case, but they're the one who are saying ridiculous things like what he did in domestic supply of infants and, you know, this whole assault on everyone's rights. Um, Right. And so how do you think people are not going to react to this? That's idiotic. Yeah. And and the ad, and so funny, funny, we have to have that aside, which is, I wrote the ad, which I'm really proud of. It was the first ad I'd written. It was funny because the funny bad is I, when you agreed, I called up Rick Wilson. I said, hey, Rick, uh, Rachel and Alex Vimmer are willing to do an ad with us. He goes, great, write it. I'm like, Rick, I've, I've never written an ad. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a Lincoln project. There's, there's supposedly a documentary coming out. Well, that'll be interesting. But the camera crew was watching me. I remember being outside the back of our building out in, in Colorado or uh, Utah going, you know, bent over like, Rick, I don't know how to write it. He goes, no, no, you, you'll figure it out. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I write an ad and I, and it was good. And it was, if you remember, I wrote it. So for those listening, I, I wrote it in Rachel's voice. I, I literally, my original script even have Alex speaking. And there was two reasons for that. One, Rachel's voice is the unique voice in the story. The, the fact of a mother, a mother of a child and a, and a, and a, and a patriot, a military spouse who's gone through this. 
but Alex, and we knew, and two, we knew Alex's voice. We've seen Alex speak. We saw him on TV. His story, we tell Alex's side of the story through the footage of his testimony and all. And then three, knowing Rachel and Alex, Alex is a freaking stiff, right? So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I love him, but he's, he's exactly the guy you saw on TV, right? And I said, look, we cannot give Alex a, a, a script, you know, and, and so, the funny story, so we do that, everybody agrees to it. Rick hated it. Rick hated that idea, and Rick is the boss. So he does some edits, and then our course are wonderful. We partner with Vote Vets, which was amazing. John Soltz, we agreed to partner with Vote Vets on that. And uh, their director, Jay Toscano, who I just think the world of, uh, shot right. And if you remember, we shot it. So I was in Utah, so Hunter, my mm-hmm. son, who was like my research yeah. assistant, he drove up to your house. He drove up to Rachel and Alex's house for the shoot day. And Hunter was like, call me. He's like, dad, dad. He goes, it'll be Fred. I said, Fred. They change your script. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's good. He goes, yeah, he goes, but they got Alex talking. I said, great. How many uh, how many takes did you do of Alex's part? <laughs> how many takes did it take, Rachel? Uh, <laughs> like, like 20. Uh, there were so, so many. You were I mean, done in like an hour. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I could have done it in probably four or five takes. And, you know, I mean, it's. It's weird. It's Alex good. is like the fun person. He's the right. fun parent. He's the fun uncle. He's like, um, I mean, yeah, he is, <laughs> but he is not a scripted person. No. So um, no. it takes him a while. And I think even when you met us the first time, it took it takes a while for him to let his guard down and warm up to people. Exactly. He's, he's quite well. Not, not suspicious, just guarded. I mean, no, you know, smart. The difference is I also. I mean, aside from obvious gender differences and personality differences, but I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in, you know, kind yeah. of we consider ourselves the South. And then yeah. he was in, you know, an immigrant in New York City where you have to kind of have that guard up. So it's just, yeah. you know, it's just a very different approach to yeah, it was people. Funny. And you kind of never really, you know, you never really leave that. But um, yeah, so we came out pretty good. We did yeah, well, we you know, and then of course, collaborating yeah, together. now we do. And now we're, yep. you know, and I, I want to say something about, um, you know, our friends in the Lincoln Project and work at sure. the Lincoln Project. I think sure. we need to really, I mean, this is for everyone, but like, again, we are still in a critical all hands on deck. Like we might not make it like democracy, democracy situation. Like we need to just step back. um, And I think have everyone working together and using their talents to the maximum. I mean, so however that, whatever that looks like and whatever people are good at, we need to allow them to use those talents and reach the people that they can reach, um, you know, the best way, because everyone has different strengths. And that's something we really need to get back to um, as we head into the midterms and 2024 is coming together and less, you know, arguing amongst ourselves. It happens on the Republican side too. It's not unique to us, but we really need to have like eye on the prize right now. Yeah, a coalition. A ta- and, and the thing is, it I, is a coalition. Right? It is a coalition. It is a coalition. And, and I was really it's proud like of that a coalition government. Right. And I was proud of the fact that my colleagues there, my former colleagues there, you know, we we never said we won that thing, right? We we, we you know we we always said you know we were part of a coalition of efforts. We did our part. Mm-hmm. We had a unique you know they have a unique voice. They did yeah. especially in the general. We were the ones that I think the joke was you know when. when when they go low, you know, we'll go low for you, <laughs> you know, you know, so the Dems don't have to, you know, and, and, um, and I, it was, a, it's an uncomfortable feeling. You know, it's funny, Rachel, on that note, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan and 
I watched it because you told us about it. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. And you know, in season two, and if I'm giving away spoilers, that's your. I'm sorry about that. Y'all just yeah, watched that. But if you remember in season two, Jamie Tart. If Roy was mad because Jamie Tart was was playing as a team player, and and Roy's point to Ted was, you made him a nice guy, and they really needed him to, not, to be an asshole. And and mm-hmm. what it taught, I took away from that is like that's the truth. Like even the good guys, the good guys, the the white hats, you you kind of need somebody who's willing to wear a black hat, right, on your team. You need a guy mm-hmm. who's going to take the yellow card. You need a tie to get in the head of your opponent. If you look at that episode, I think, you remember if you remember Jamie kind of makes the air guy you know follow him. Uh, get a penalty and he gets, he gets a shot out of it and wins the game. And, and I, and I really take that away in many ways to my life at the Lincoln Project. I was always an army officer. I was, I saw myself as the good guy. I kind of still do, but maybe I'm deluding myself. But, but again, in that I case, right, we were the, we were the kind of the black hats of the team. We were willing to do the things and say the things that made our peers uncomfortable. And I think it still makes them uncomfortable, but, but we had to say some hard truths. And, 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 mm-hmm. and my, my ad, cause you remember I did the Sully, I did you guys, and then I did the one with Mark Hamill. So my mm-hmm. ads were more of the, warm and fuzzy ones to be honest with you but but we did some pretty harsh hard things and said though because i think it needed to be said and it worked we yeah. got in the guy's head so anyway i think there's a lesson learned it still does it does we still need it and actually uh we kind of need the democrats in office to like be a little bit um well there you go have a little bit more of a killer instinct or something. right like um, well look what, it's, it's yeah Look what happened yesterday. You know, uh, Jen came out and, uh, uh, and she went hard when, when they asked her about the, the, oh, yeah. you keep saying Rick's, oh, he said Republicans are against us. And it was brilliant. She like opened her book. So, well, let me read all these Republicans who support this. And, and what was interesting about that, and there was a great point about it on Today Online was what, ha- what happened yesterday is after her press conference, Fox News spent the rest of the day pushing, like fighting her, saying, oh, you know, Rick Scott's on an island by himself. He's that dork mm-hmm. that nobody wants to hang out with. Cause, they got them. For once, mm-hmm. they had the Republicans yep. and the Republican propaganda machine having to defend for once instead of on the attack. And I think there's, I'm praying that they take that lesson and say, oh, okay, we got to push back and we got to hold them accountable. Again, those deceptive lies we've been seeing. No, it, bullshit. It's not the leak. It's the content. Now, mm-hmm. before we get to that topic, I want, I do want to talk about that topic as our third topic. Um, for those of you listening, your first time, I know you're new to, new to call in. Hell, I'm new to call in, so bear with me. <laughs> if you, <laughs> we all are, except Avery. If you see Avery there, hi, Avery. Thanks for guarding me. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, if you, if you, uh, if you're new to it, if you want to ask a question, there's a little phone, there's a phone icon on your screen and, and you click that and you'll go into the queue. And if we've got time, if, if, if it's good, we'll, we'll, we'll take a call, a couple calls from you guys to ask me or Rachel some questions. So if you're interested in that, just go ahead and hit that at some point and we'll take your call and you can talk. I'll have to unmute yourself when I call on you. But I'd love to, if you're interested, we'd love to have you um, chime in. I know I've got some friends here who I'd love to talk to you. Um, so uh, going that, so that ta- that point though, as you said, I mean, we had this, we just had this ruling or this loss uh, Mansion voted with the Republicans, uh, 4951. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're facing some real challenges. Now you're on your podcast. You, it's called the suburban woman problem. You guys focus on you, you and your colleagues, the three of you talk a lot about the, the issue. You're a former Republican. You know, I really mm-hmm. want to chat with you around this illegally. Um, you know, 
I, I, this could be a bridge issue for Democrats and Republican women, right? I mean, we know there are Republican women who are who are pro-choice. Um, maybe they're very quiet about it, but we know it's just the percentage of Americans who support not overturning Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. by some measures sixty percent of Americans. There's no way those don't include Republicans. And Republicans, um, you know, what's your thought on the approach to that? I mean, do you think? I'd love to get your perspective on as we go into this cycle. As we're, I'm, as you know, I'm on a couple of campaigns. I've got a congressional campaign, and I'm also helping a senator, a Senate campaign. How do you think people should be approaching this as as as, as someone in your position, as a woman who's been in this issue, you know, dealing with this issue? Um, yeah, I have a. We were just talking about it today in group text, and we discussed it on our podcast this week. So at first, I was really. <laughs> Part of my frustration and, and being upset after the initial shock of it was right. this is not going to matter in November. The economy, inflation, mm-hmm. and the crime crime rate are absolutely going to overshadow this because they right. will just message the heck out of that. And that is something that people feel every day. Right. Um, now, they don't know when to quit. And... Um, they just, as they continue to kind of pass these bills and try to pass bills in places, and some of the candidates say things like, you know, that they want to really restrict access to birth, to birth control and make that, you know, a state issue, access to birth control. And um, as I shared on Twitter, like, I actually had three atopic pregnancies. Alex and I had mm. a really long and and sad uh, fertility history and um, journey. So um, I, I know what it's like to go and and hope to see a heartbeat at six weeks. And um, then when I said that people said, that's not really a heartbeat. I mean, okay. I don't think that's the way we're going to win this. Okay. So I need (laughs) you to keep those those (laughs) in in your head. Okay. But, um, and, and then, you, you know, I had a legitimate, when we lived in Germany, a legitimate emergency surgery for an ectopic pregnancy. I arrived, I thought I was having a miscarriage. I arrived at the doctor's office, which was in a hospital. It's a very German thing to do. And right. within 30 minutes, I was just there, like a routine to make sure I was, you know, having a miscarriage nor- normally, naturally. And within 30 minutes, I was in the, emer- I was in the operating room. So, mm. I wouldn't have time to go to another state if I were in a state that didn't allow for removal of an ectopic pregnancy, if that was considered an abortion. And we already see in Texas where there are prescriptions for plan B um, and they are not giving though. The pharmacies will not fulfill those. They will not fill those prescriptions. And right. people are very scared because of the ambiguity of the law. And I think you'll continue to see that expound and honestly at this point fred and i know this sounds really harsh and i'm not trying until the reality is like there are probably women who are going to die there are bad things that are going to happen in this situation um but until those things happen no one's going to believe it's an issue and even like last week alex said to me at the end of the week he was like why are you so upset and i was like well i mean the news is horrible this week alex and Right. Like kind of gives me this look and I'm like, you know, and he, he sincerely kind of was like, Oh, that's not really going to happen. I'm like, yes, it is like tune in. Why don't you read? And so I kind of, you know, <laughs> start showing since apparently he doesn't read my tweet and I start showing what? him some stuff. I know. Right. Um, and he's like, this is real. And I was like, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, but I think it, there's all this idea, also this idea that it's not going to affect everyone. I mean, 
for us, it's probably not going to affect us. Right. And I reminded him that we have an 11 year old daughter, which I mean, mm-hmm. he couldn't think about that affecting her, but the reality is it could, Fred. I mean, that's the, you Absolutely. know, like it, we, 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 anything could happen. I mean, you know, like God forbid it does. I get it. But this is something that affects all Americans. And there is right now kind of a, a disconnect. But as we go closer, and I do think that this is something that we can, that is going to get even worse because as these state legislators who, who don't know what they're doing, by the way, I mean, no, a lot of no, them, I'm, no, I'm in Missouri. I, I'm in yes, Missouri, right, Rachel. I, I mean, Jesus, I mean, yeah. the trigger law here is unbelievable. Right. That's <laughs> so, and, and I think that's what people, the, they don't realize this trigger laws. As soon as Roe v. Wade is yeah. off the books, then these laws that will go into a place in place are extremely restrictive and people just are not paying attention. They will, but it'll be too late for a lot right. of them. I mean, and here in Missouri, it's going to outlaw. Yeah. Yeah. We're toast. Yeah. Yeah. But that's when people start paying attention after the fact. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because no one, I mean, like all the stop the steal bullshit and everything that went on. And then we had January 6th and we were like, oh, okay. What? Wait, what? Like what's going on? Yep. Like, I mean, people cared about it, but they ignored it because they were like, nothing's going to happen. This is United States of America. We have a peaceful transition of power. This is the way we do it. Like we always had, this is not going to be an issue. And then we had January 6th and people were shocked. This is going to be another January 6th over many, many days. Yeah. Women are going to have serious health concerns and or die. And then people are going to start paying attention, but it's going to take a while to, to fix it. And I think a lot of people just simply do not understand. So I do think it'll be an issue yeah. Um, to me, it's a very personal issue. So, I mean, I think like a lot, I had to kind of get over, it's like with Esper, I guess I had to get over the personal thing before I could kind of think about it more or less, you know, zoom out, you know, and, right. and see how we can, but, but what we have to do is tell stories. And I know in our group, we've had a lot of women who are openly sharing their stories of, you know, abortions they had or other personal stories. And it's been, I mean, I, I applaud them because these are the stories that we've kept and we don't tell anyone and it's very personal. But when we share this with people, it changes people's minds because it's much, much di- more difficult to demonize someone that you don't know yeah. and a story that you've never heard. But when it's your friend and your neighbor or someone that you're in church with or PTO with, and then you see like, oh, okay, uh, maybe there's more to right. this than I thought. Those yeah, are the my- stories that are going to change people's minds. And if we can get those stories out, I do think the Democrats, uh, it's the Republic. I mean, you know, we, we know what happens in midterms, but I think right. there's a chance. I think it, these are local issues. I mean, the state, trigger yeah, law here, the, the trigger law in Missouri will outlaw IUDs. Okay. Uh, a very common because it literally says life begins at uh, fertilization. It's insanity. Not, not conception, fertilization, no, no, <laughs> which is the same, but you know, literally you're not even allowed to, you know, plan B is outlawed. I mean, right. I, I know, I know when, there's women in my life who have gone to Costco and bought up as many of the plan B's they could get their hands on because they're being out. They're going to be outlawed in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let, like, let's say you got teenage sons. Maybe things happen like they do sometimes yeah. with teenagers, uh, their girlfriends unable to just get the simple mm-hmm. the morning after. It, it's just the, the extent to which the extremists are going to go uh, is unbelievable. And, 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 you know, there was a, there was a joke at the beginning of this where people were saying, well, it's like the dog that caught the, 
car farming. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think this was. I think this was really the plan. I think the extremists are ready for it, uh, mm-hmm. and it, and they ain't going to stop at abortion. They're not going to stop. They're they're not going to stop it. It's 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 going to go to contraception. It's going to go to. Jeez, I don't want to think of what it could go to. You know, interracial marriage. No, but it I mean, is. Insanity. But I, you know, yeah, it is. It's going to go to all these things. I mean, and. I agree with you. I don't think it's the dog that caught the car. I think this is what they want. And this is the tyranny of the minority. This is states that have one representative for the whole state and two senators being able to manipulate the system and tell us all what to do. So, I I mean, make laws for everyone because this is happening in the Senate Yes, and it's this. This is where these things are happening. These extremely red states, and yeah, I agree. they are manipulating it. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I think about places where I've been, and I'm like, that's so weird. Like this, uh, these countries where they have like the minority, the tyranny of the minority, and I think like right. don't these people know they're like there's more of them than the other, but yet they docilely like you know allow this to happen i'm like oh yeah okay well look in the mirror united you states lived that's well, there's right now. i mean what happens to military members stationed in whiteman air force base here in missouri uh you know it, yeah. it, it, in no, Texas, we talked I mean, about that last week yeah Twitter it's shocking with vote vets and i was yeah. totally outgunned with jessica goldbeck and retired <laughs> major general uh tammy smith i was like don't ever do that to me again they're like so they uh it was it was uh it was embarrassing, but they're wonderful. Nah, they're, they're in awe of you, Rachel. Yeah, I've known you for a while by now. You're pretty damn intimidating. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> they talked about it. They also talked about it from a readiness perspective for our military. Right. Um, a you know, big I one. Mean, for, yeah, yeah, huge. For So there's – and the, the Pentagon will have to – I mean, Major General Smith said something that I thought was good. Like, the good thing is we know this is coming, so the DOD will have time to think about it, what they'll do. You know, I mean, right. they'll probably start working on it last Monday or Tuesday. It happens right. Monday night. But, you know, they'll start thinking about it. But um, it's a lot. And uh, while, you know, you look at like, so Louisiana law is particularly restrictive. One of the three mm-hmm. major training bases in the world is in Louisiana. Right. And, you know, like what... They're talking this about is, murder. They're talking about yeah. charging charging yeah, mothers right. with murder. Yeah. It's so, insanity. And, and and also military training facilities, sorry, military treatment facilities cannot, right. um, hospitals, they cannot provide abortion um, to service members unless it is at harm of the, of the mother. And um, mm. abortions are not covered by the military insurance because of the, uh, the act that said that government right. funds will not be used to pay for abortions. So that includes wow. military health care. And even Unless more disturbing, they're... and Rachel, even more disturbing though, is so many of our military treatment facilities don't even have OBGYNs anymore. Yeah, so I much know. of, yeah, and, they're, and they're, yeah, they're reorganized and they, they've outsourced that to the local mm-hmm. community. So now our military but services But no one are... wants to take TriCar because they don't right. have anything. It's, it's right. like truly, even here, I, have a, I had a hard time. I found an OBGYN who actually is not an OB. So that's the only way. And they take TRICARE, but the ones who do OB work don't want to take TRICARE because they, they don't get paid anything. Wow. Um, anyway, that's a story for another day. But, yeah. uh, it, and I live in the national capital region. I should call it that. Right. So I live in like where a, a ton of people live and I'm military members and retired military members and people who have this insurance. And the doctors are like, no, thanks. We'll just take all the other patients. And so they're saying no to a bunch of people. And, yep. but this all is part of the problem of like, of where are people going to go? And, um, 
and I, and I, I again, I just so in Virginia, uh, you move from Virginia to Louisiana. I mean, to to Missouri, um, not Louisiana. And you know, in Virginia, we're just like one state Senate seat away from having some restrictive laws on abortion. Yeah. So I, that's another thing. Is like I just donated to Louise Lucas. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just, right? I just bought a Louise blue vest. Uh, I'll tell you what. And I live in Missouri, but I'm so I'm support Louise that's Lucas. If you guys don't know, is the the, the president she's of the Senate. Amazing. Yeah, I love yeah. her. And I mean, she's telling the story. Like, good for her for saying it because she's it. These people need to realize that. Like, you're going throughout your day and you're worried that gas prices are high. And I get it. Gas prices are high, and I hate it too. But um, that ain't know, it, chief. Got to right? work on that. <laughs> Like we've got to work on that, but it cannot be the only thing we think about. We've got to think a little bit, you know, forward, um, look towards the horizon and not just like what's in front of your nose. Great. Hey, look, I, I want to take some calls because we have time and okay. I see Connie is in line. Connie, I'm going to bring you in next. Maybe you can ask a question and we'd love to hear from you and go ahead. Just unmute yourself, Connie. And you're all set. It's the bottom. There you go. All right. Thank you. It's nice listening to you, Fred and Rachel <laughs> and uh, Rachel. I have, I fangirl you. Can't wait to talk to you and me too. <laughs> um, so when I watch all these different things unfold, a lot of times people just say, you got to vote. Uh-huh. And looking at what's happening where I'm at in Ohio and the gerrymandered maps, the constitutional amendment that says you got to fix the maps, the Republicans stalling, stalling, stalling to the point where the federal court mm-hmm. says, well, if you don't have new maps, then you got to go back to the old gerrymandered unacceptable maps. How is voting going to really fix it if they're not even working on behalf of the people, the will of the people? It feels very hopeless. Help me not be hopeless. <laughs> Great. You know, I'm going uh, to answer something and then I'll let Freddie answer it. I'll say it quickly is um, we were at the Tucson Book Festival and someone asked my husband this question and it was on a panel. And at first he punted and he let someone else answer first and he gathered his thoughts And I thought his answer was really good. He said, you know, I've lived in countries where your vote doesn't count and we're not there yet. So I, I mean, I understand that it feels very rigged and in a lot of ways it is. And, and although I, I'm familiar because a couple of my podcasts, one of my podcasts call it co-host lives in Ohio and the organization that I work with red, white and blue is also um, in Ohio. I would, encourage you if you're not already plugged in with them to plug in with red wine and blue yeah. very active and um but you know uh, the, the same goes you can't out organize um voter suppression and that's true but you can make a lot of headway and while we might not it'll be harder in the local elections and we are talking about the importance of local le- elections and local legislators um i do think on a statewide level if we are getting registering people to vote, making sure they vote like the Republicans do, particularly in the midterms, we do have a chance and we have to make the difference where we can. Um, and I do think that it's still possible in the Senate race. Um, and if JD Vance doesn't, you know, inspire you to go out and work every day on <laughs> Tim Ryan, then nothing oh. ever will. I think you know that. <clears throat> And then, um, you know, for, for the house race, you know, wherever you are, um, if there is someone running, you know, and, and I just encourage like basic conversations, talking about the issues in a rational way with your neighbors, with your friends. And because you have to, a lot of these people are just getting their news from one source like Fox news or Facebook. 
And I spend a lot of time with some of my friends just dispelling that stuff. And they're not really taking it in, but they're taking it in, you know, very kind of um, superficially, but it still yeah. gets in their head and they think about it. What do you think, Fred? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think he nailed it. Right. I, I, I was just actually talking to a, a guy who's running for state Senate here in Missouri just this morning over coffee. And obviously Missouri is a super major, super minority state for Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. Our friends, Republicans have all but two to one us out here. And I think there's two things. One, <clears throat> I, 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 did, I, I actually will push back saying that we are voting. You, you hear, I hear that a lot from Democratic voters. Like, well, we voted and you guys aren't helping us. Well, the truth is, if you look at Virginia and, and, and raise your Virginia, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, CRT is why he didn't win or all that. Oh. No, in the end, what happened is it's very clear what happened in Virginia. First of all, the youth vote fell by like 30,000 votes from mm-hmm. 2020 yeah. to 2021. So people stayed home. Mr. McAuliffe, God bless him, ran a shit campaign. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's just, he, he, he completely ignored rural Virginia. So look, if you've got a 37% uh, district in, in rural Virginia or rural Missouri, and it's only 37%. That's the best we can get about it. We already got with 37% of Democrats. But if you don't bother campaigning or motivating those 37% of, of, of citizens who are Democrats and only 20% of those 37 even vote, you lose the statewide race, which is what happened to Terry McAuliffe. He decided mm-hmm. to write mm-hmm. off a big chunk of Virginia, yeah. right? And, and, and then Dem stayed home. And he lost by a slim margin because he was he just thought he was going to win, right? And and so I, I would argue that maybe we aren't all voting when we say we are. We do outnumber them at this point. We know that nationally. Mm-hmm. We do now. The Republicans are very very good at gerrymandering. They're very good at voter suppression. They're very good, and they're doing a very concerted effort right now since 2020. Um, I think 14 states have passed laws restricting it. I'm working yeah. on a, I'm working on a campaign down in Virginia, uh, Georgia right now. We keep getting messages. Early voting is going on right now in Georgia for the primary, and I'm getting messages. Regularly from voters are going in to vote and they've been removed from the rolls, just randomly removed. So, so there is an active effort by the Republican Party to suppress votes. But I, you know, I'm an old old veteran, you know, and and and, and I, I believe there's one of the things we use in counterinsurgency is the ink spot strategy, right? If you remember this from the early days of Iraq, I'm sure you're all if you if you're around then, is the idea that I secure an area. I, I put in um, a good sort port for the local civilians. I put in local indigenous uh, security forces, and then I gr- that's a spot, right? And then I do another city, I grow a spot, and then I grow another spot, and I connect to those spots. And eventually, the whole country is green, right? And, and this is literally what we were doing in Iraq in 2006. I actually um, worked on this strategy with um, reporters would ask me all the time, you know, Fred, when is the Iraqis going to take over their country? When do we leave? And I would show them the map of where Iraqi military forces controlled their districts. And I'd say, well, when this map is all green, we out. And, and I think in many ways, we do have to take that attitude with, with our democracy. Well, we're going to have to grow. We've got the ink spots, say, in, in, in your city, in, in, in Ohio and, you know, Cincinnati, maybe, or in Cleveland, the cities. We're going to have to work very hard to activate our peers, activate our, 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 our down to come out and grow their ink spots in the places. I was talking to this gentleman today. His his count, the, the 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 train wreck that is the Missouri Democratic Party. I'm sure I'll pay for this. Is just an absolute embarrassment. The, the, they're so busy stabbing each other in the back. Uh, St. Mm-hmm. Louis people don't talk to Kansas City people. Springfield people are doing their own damn thing. No one in between can figure out what the hell is going on. And and it's if we don't get our shit together as a, as a party and as activists and bring our friends to the polls and make sure we're actually getting out the vote. Then you're right. Voting won't matter but i do believe we're we're assuming a lot when we say that people just we're, we're going to lose i i do believe i understand your frustration connie i do 
But I do believe that there are more of us than them, and that if we get our stuff together, we organize, we get our friends to vote, we, we work with campaigns. And by the way, it's not just voting. You can, you can volunteer the local campaign. They need canvassers. We find consistently, if your people are knocking on doors and just talking to neighbors mm-hmm. and making sure they know what's going on, you'd be amazed how powerful canvassing can be. If you take your neighbors and your, your friends and family, there was an article in Political about three weeks ago about how Ossoff did such a wonderful job um, uh, of using a, a technique of basically family, like friends and family, right? Like, hey, talk to your friends and family and talk to your neighbors. Like, they use almost a, a personal network style canvas yeah, somewhere, did. right? Did you see that story, Rachel? Mm-hmm. And it's great. And I've heard so, about it before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is in Georgia, yeah. There you go. So we're, we're going to have to work hard, Connie. I, I wish that I could be like the eternal optimist. I, I, you know, 22 years in the army, got rid of all the optimism I had in my life. But however, yes, I do. But it's not like Sisyphus. I mean, I do think we can get the boulder all the way up the mountain if we all work together. Yes. But if it's one person and then we got to hand it off to someone else, then it's going to be a problem. We got to all work together. Row the same way. How many analogies can I use? I love it. Just keep working together. Together. That's the coalition. Yes. And yes. it's not too late. We still have six months. We can do this. We can bring it around. Six months is a long time in America. And, and with is. that, I think we're right at an hour. I don't want to go too long. Nobody wants to lift up podcasts all day. But And Connie, thanks for your question. But folks, next time we're on, please join us and ask questions. You can you can message us. You can message us here on the call and app. Um, Rachel, I, I just, I'm so glad you joined us. This has been a lot of fun. Um, man, I can't thank you enough for being part of my inaugural episode. Y'all, poor Rachel had to put up with a lot of me texting her going, I'm scared. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is there the technology? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So, thank you. Explore this app a little bit more. You should. It's very cool. I've subscribed to some shows already. There's some good ones. There's some really good ones. Glenn Greenwald's on here. When Avery called me, he goes, Yeah, Glenn Greenwald. I'm like, Yeah, that's not a way to recruit me. Uh, But (laughs) so, when is the next episode of Suburban Women Problem Podcast? And and where can I find Uh, your podcast? We had one today. uh, Oh, wonderful. On on Apple Podcast. uh, We're at. I think not on Spotify, but, uh, you know, the basic places you probably get. Podcasts. All right. Where, where so, you, where um, you get your podcast. Like there's a link Oh, for yeah. you guys. know if you look on the, in, in the message, there should be your, or maybe Avery can help me out there. There should be, I did put up a link in the, on, on here where you can find your, uh, the links. I, I put the Wonkhead article up. I did put a link to Apple podcast where you can find Rachel, um, and, and her, her co-host. Um, and how do we find you online there? Where else yeah, at, Rachel? Rachel Vinman is good. But yeah. At, it's like hobbyist. But I think if you just put Rachel Vinman, you can yeah, find me Yeah, you're the only one. It's a unique name. Yeah. yeah. So. And I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's possible, but I will be on cable news tomorrow talking about Mark Esper. So, oh, uh, great. I've made enough ways that they've asked me. Who knows? These things get canceled all the time. But if I yeah, will, I will that. put it on. I, I will, you know, scorched earth. That's my policy. I'm just kidding. But, um, and, and, and we love it. So NATSEC hobbyist, <laughs> N-A-T-S-E-C hobbyist on, on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter as FP Wellman. If you don't follow me, I've got a Facebook page and I've got an Instagram page and I've got a newsletter on a review called FP Wellman Unfiltered, which is, which is more of a backstory. A lot of my stories, the journey that's gotten me where I am today. And I, I hope it's great and inspiring. You. I need to write another. I need to. I got stuck on a story that hasn't been written, so uh, I'm I'm getting a lot of heat. Um, If you want to join us on our anti, you know, fighting these anti-democratic forces in America, I'd love you to check out beerhallproject.com or at beerhallproject on the social networks of the world. This podcast is live on call-in. We're since we're new, we're figuring it out. I'm 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 looking at Tuesdays and Thursdays.
we get this up and running um, about this time, and, and we'll play with it a little bit as we figure out the best time to get as many folks to join us. Uh, we will publish on Apple and Spotify when we're all done here. And if you like the show, I hope you'll give us a good review. Uh, if you didn't, I hope you forget it ever happened. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we'd love to have you join us. Thank you so much for joining us on the, on the very first episode of On Democs with F.P. Wellman. And uh, we're turning our regular scheduled times here next week. And thank you for all your support. And I see a lot of friends in the chat here. Um, thank you so much. And you know what? Have a great night. Look, keep up the fight, folks. We can do this. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it, this is our democracy's at stake, and all of us are in the fight. So uh, let's do it together. So thank you so much. Have a great night. Good night. Mm-hmm.